Well, hi, everyone. Hey, so the other day I came home and I saw a centerpiece on the dining room table. And when, when we sat down for dinner that night, I said, hey, Margie, I really like that centerpiece. When did you put that together? She said, about two weeks ago. Well, really? I said, well, I really like it here on the table. To which she said, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> and I detected a little twinge of sarcasm in her voice. So I just looked at her and said, what? And she said, well, it's been on the table for the last two weeks. <laughs> right here in that spot. Whoops. Um, you know, there's something wrong with me here. And I'm going to tell you about my problem. Some Something you may share, in fact, in this episode as I continue to talk about the importance of admiration in shaping your character so that you'll have fresh impact on your corner of the world. Hi. Uh, my name is Doug Newton, as you know, and I've been a pastor for 45 years and a national award-winning magazine editor and author of 24 books, and this is At the Intersection, where scripture, culture, and character meet. And I'm here to help you pursue the kind of character needed to align with Scripture faithfully and to engage culture graciously, graciously. Now, each week, I make one observation about our culture. I give one insight from the Bible that speaks to that issue. And I suggest one way to strengthen the character that you and I need to relate to our mixed-up world with exemplary grace and fresh impact. And like I say every week, this is a no-gripe zone. Our question is not what's wrong with our culture, but it's about what's the right way to respond. You know, in the last two episodes about the importance of admiration, I made this claim that you're going to tend to become more like the people that you admire. That doesn't mean that if you admire Taylor Swift, you're going to start singing like Taylor Swift, or if you admire Tom Brady, you'll pass like Tom Brady. However, Moral character is a different ballgame. If you admire, for example, Tom Brady's work ethic, then you'll likely develop a more determined and disciplined approach to life. And, uh, you know, when you ad admire a person of honesty, you're probably going to become a more honest person. If you admire a person of perseverance or generosity, you will actually become more like them. However, in the second episode, admiration has been is such an important part of character development that we're spending four episodes on this topic. And in the, the last one, the second episode on admiration, we learned that no one is going to benefit from the transformative power of admiration unless we pay attention to admirable people, which means we have to learn how to pull ourselves up out of preoccupation so we don't miss what's going on around you and uh, and you know you did some exercises on that if you did the crosswalk uh, this last week but I left you hanging in the last episode because I said I'm going to reveal what I believe is the chief cause of preoccupation in this episode I think it will make it a little easier for you to deal with preoccupation if you deal with what I'm going to talk about this week, and the title already really gives it away, doesn't it? Admiration's nemesis, the thing that keeps you preoccupied, is egocentricity. Ego meaning self, centric meaning centered, <laughs> self-centered. I almost hate to use the word egocentricity because 
we typically associate it with runaway selfishness in people who think they are the center of the universe. (laughs) And, you know, most of us don't go that far. However, think of egocentricity as something on a scale from 1 to 10. None of us is totally egocentric. We may be only a 4 on the scale or a 6, but not a 10. And that's true. But the fact is, where you fall on that scale is actually irrelevant. No matter how much or how little you are egocentric, the fact is that most of our mental life is preoccupied with worries, plans, needs, problems, hopes that involves ourselves, right? Our stuff. David Foster Wallace was one of the most celebrated novelists in the last 50 years who wrote a a hugely popular book called Infinite Jest. He spoke at a commencement uh, exercise at Kenyon College in 2005, and he said this. He said, think about it. There is no experience you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world as you experience it is there in front of you, or behind you, to the left or the right of you, or it's on your TV or your monitor, and so on. Other people's thoughts, he said, and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow. But your own experiences are so immediate, urgent, and real. And you know, Wallace is right. You're not preoccupied with somebody else's stuff. You can be a five or even a two on the egocentric scale, and you'll still be more interested in what you're interested in than what interests someone else, because that's just the way it is. We are interested in what we're interested in. We are egocentric, naturally and understandably, but unavoidably. And so we are going to be preoccupied. There's no way around it. And like we talked about last week, we just have to come up with what I call attention alerts that will create these moments which force us to remember to choose what we give our attention to. But, (laughs) you see, preoccupation never gives us a chance to choose. You're never going to have the thought, I think I'm going to choose to be preoccupied. And I say that we have to come up with moments that force us And that sounds bad. We don't like being forced anything, but it's a force toward freedom and not bondage. Wallace also went on to say in his famous commencement address, these words, true freedom means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to and to choose how you construct meaning from experience. Because if you cannot exercise this kind of choice in adult life, you'll be totally hosed. (laughs) Now, before I move on and begin asking the question about what we can do to counteract egocentricity, we need to recognize how hard it might be because of the culture that we live in. In his 2015 number one New York Times bestseller, The Road to Character, 
David Brooks opens up with a bunch of supporting evidence that our culture has shifted away from the virtue of self-effacement to self-promotion. As an example, he cited a 1954 survey of 10,000 adolescents that were asked whether they considered themselves a very important person. 12% said, yes, I'm a very important person. 35 years later, the children of the self-esteem-obsessed baby boomers, <laughs> that's, that's me, right? That's my generation. And, and 35 years after that first survey, our kids were now teenagers and were asked the same question of whether they would say they were a very important person. Here are the results. 80% of the boys and 77% of the girls responded, yes, I am a very important person. Hey, I tell you, baby boomers, we did our job, didn't we? <laughs> well, Brooks goes on to point out the now iconic images of athletes in, in, in games like football and so forth, celebrating their prowess with chest-thumping, end-zone dancing, look-at-me-and-what-I've-done histrionics, that we don't realize it, but that would never have occurred to an athlete 60 years ago much less tolerated by the fans. I mean, I remember living through the era where that never happened, and all of a sudden it started to happen little by little by little. And I remember thinking, my goodness, people shouldn't do that. Self-aggrandizing behavior used to be considered, but it's no longer uh, viewed as shameful. It's simply central to appropriate self-esteem. We're all about building people's self-esteem these days. But somewhere along the way, someone decided that human beings are so fragile, they can't handle not being as good as everyone else. <laughs> so, so, case in point from my own life, 25 years ago, I was walking on a sidewalk on the campus of a beautiful retreat center in the pines of Southern California toward the venue where I was about to speak to a group of about 600 people. An elementary school-age girl was coming toward me, and I could see she had a big, shiny, Olympic-sized gold medal draped around her neck, and it was catching the glint of the early evening sun. And as I got close, I could read the big letters, first place, and it was inscribed on, on this really beautiful object. So I stopped, and I caught her attention, and I asked to look at it. I said, wow, that's really cool. What'd you get that for? And she said, mm, I don't know. All the kids got one. <laughs> oh, man. Every, apparently, every person's self-esteem is so fragile. Not, not only do we all have to be surrounded by the lie of first place, but ultimately, ultimately must, we've, we've got to embrace. Uh, the, we're told by our culture, we have to embrace the necessity of being the chief caretaker of our own esteem. Well, you know, when every, everyone in our culture is surrounded by this egocentric atmosphere, when it's the air we breathe, when, when it's the light of our glory by which we see, <laughs> we are less likely to affirm and practice that once praised 
but now passe virtue of self-denial that, that helps reduce the amount of preoccupation that self-orientation triggers. That's all. That's what we need to do is just reduce the amount of preoccupation, or to put it simply. When you're not always thinking about yourself, you've got more mental space for noticing other things. So, I'm not saying that egocentricity is wrong. It's both natural and it's actually morally neutral. You have to spend a lot of time in life thinking about yourself. Nevertheless, egocentricity gets in the way of paying attention to interests outside our own, which which is a prerequisite to the act of noticing and the art of admiring, which is our goal for developing good character. It's the classic methodology for developing good character, admiring things that are worthy. My wife likes plants, as I pointed out in the opening. I I appreciate that they exist, but that's about as far as it goes. I mean, paying money for them at nurseries, planting them in soil, tending them in gardens, remembering their names, (laughs) that's not my interest. I mean, I, I might notice a bouquet of flowers or a centerpiece on a table, but then again, obviously, I might not. <laughs> you never know. Why? Because flowers, plants, are not top of mind for me or anywhere close to top of mind. I'm not better because of that. I'm actually worse off because of that. And that's just one example of my own egocentricity. So if I am ever to become more observant, I have to bend back the blinders that that narrow my observation around my own limited interests. I, I have to I have to make that effort to open up my world to more diverse interests beyond my own. So how do I and how do you do that? Wouldn't it be great? Where's my phone? Wouldn't it be great if our smartphones or our smartwatches would have an app on it? You know, we all count our steps these days. But what if there was an app that could hear, you know, what you're saying? And every time your phone hears you say something showing interest in something somebody else is interested in, it counts it for you. And it it lets you know how much time you spent thinking about things that other people are interested in. But alas, you know, there's... There's no such watch. There's no such app on the phone. You just have to do it by feel. But you can do that. You can sensitize yourself to this question. At the end of every day, am I spending time thinking about and entering into the interests of others that are not my own? You, You could emblazon that question in the very forefront of your mind, so that you're tracking it. And with the Lord's help, as I believe he will, you know, at the end of the day, you can have kind of an inner, almost intuitive sense of, of how often you were interested in the interests of others. You know, the Apostle Paul sets the standard in Philippians about looking to the interests of others. But now, before I read it, be forewarned, Many translations, modern translations, may actually be a watered-down version of the original. Now, here's what you're familiar with, what I'm familiar with, what most modern translations say. 
They say, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But some scholars have identified uh, some versions that actually may be closer to what was the, you know, we don't have the original texts of any New Testament documents. The closest we can come to any originals is, you know, some fragments that are about 150 AD around in there. So we, the scholars are always trying to figure out how to get back to what the original might have actually said. And some scholars point out that a document that they think that's closer to the original says this, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Do you hear the difference? It really comes down to just one word different in the Greek. One word that some surmise may have been added that allows the translation to not be quite so hard <laughs> to do. It's, it's just this one word that allows for the translation to say not only, but also. But if that word isn't there, if you take that word out, that one word in the Greek out, here's what you're left with. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see why that's harder? You know, because the other one, you know, okay, you can keep looking to all of your interests, but try to jam some other people's interests into your life as well. But this, this is don't look at your own interests, look at the interests of others. Now, scholars still struggle to know which is truer to the original, so we don't make a big case out of that. And whether we side with the most common translations today or this harder translation, I think our egocentric self could stand to be challenged to move at least in this direction, work frequently at putting our interests in second place. Just just try that. Work frequently at putting our interests in second place. Somehow you have to develop the sensitivity and the habit of wrenching your thoughts away from what you're interested in and stepping into the interests of other people that, and what they care about. This takes a lot of effort because, by nature, we are going to be unavoidably egocentric. It takes a lot of effort, but there are lots and lots of opportunities to practice. How do I know this? Because you're surrounded by tons of other people every day who have their own interests, right? So... I've created another crosswalk for you today. I hope, I, I know quite a few people are using these, but I hope, especially today, uh, you might download this. Get on, you'll see the, the way to do it at the end. There'll be the link at the very end. I hope you'll download this because I, I'm helping you think creatively about the kinds of ways in which you can go through your day and you can be more attuned to the interests of others and to regard them more highly. For example, let me give you just a couple that are here on, on the uh, crosswalk. Uh, one is uh, that I call, your problem is my problem. <laughs> I mean, stop and think how you address your problems. It's top of mind for you, isn't it? When you 
when you have a problem, you're going to research, you're going to get online, you're going to you're going to talk to people about it, you're going to you're going to try to come up with solutions, right? Lots of times during the day people share little problems, little niggling problems or even big problems with us and then and we we listen to them and then we walk away. Take it the next step. Relate to it as if it's your problem. You go home, look things up online, look for some other resources, talk to some people about that particular problem, jot down some ideas that you might have that would help that person. And then the next time you see them, you come to them and say, hey, I was thinking about your problem. And I don't know if this is helpful, but here's a couple things that I came up with. You see, That's one of the ways in which you begin to shift the way your mind is always riveted on your own stuff. Here's one more. There's several more, but here's one more. This one I call, I feel your pain. You know, when something is not, if there's something that we're not all that interested in, and somebody else is disappointed in an outcome of their efforts. I mean, my wife was baking something the other day, and Margie pulled it out of the oven, and she was disappointed because... Um, she had forgotten to do something. I don't even remember what it was. But you know, after that was over, because, I mean, I, I, I reacted a little bit to it and, and probably patted her on the back and said, well, but I'm sure it's going to taste good or something like that. What I realized is I had actually minimized her disappointment. Rather than letting that be there for a minute, and I just jump in and go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that happened, or whatever. And that's a little teeny case, but... But there are so many times people are saying things to us and things that they struggle with or a disappointment that they've had, and and we just minimize it by saying something trite rather than sharing that with them in that moment. That's their interest in that moment. Their interest is in the fact that something didn't turn out the way that they hoped. Well, there's a, a, a bunch of others on here, and they'll just give you some cues that you can use um, during the next few days. And just begin to practice how to step out of your own interest and into the interest of others. Well, that's it for today. If you appreciate what I'm trying to do in this podcast, again, I I just ask that you would share it with your friends. Subscribe to this Fresh Impact YouTube channel. Just just do search on Doug Newton Fresh Impact, or again, the link is at the end of this video. And by the way, remember, within 24 hours, I'll have a permanent version of this up on YouTube, not just the live replay And I'll also have audio-only version for those who want to listen on the go on a podcast. All that information, past, future, about the podcast can be found uh, on the website. And the links, again, are at the end of this video. You know, I hope you're feeling like you're part of something worthwhile in this. I've been getting some really, really encouraging feedback from people of all ages. And I, I just am so encouraged and grateful to you and grateful to the Lord and especially grateful to my wife for the kind of support she's been giving me. But if you think this podcast is and hope that it will continue to be a valuable resource, I'd love to have you leave me a comment, send me an email about what it means to you. And again, remember, people-to-people recommendations are the major way podcasts get found. And I believe that it would please the Lord for people to find this podcast because the world needs people of better character all the way around. Well, thanks again so much for tuning in. Again, send me your thoughts about what you might like me to address in the future. I'm already looking forward to next week for part four and the final part of of this topic, admiration. I call it admiring epitomes. 
you may not even, you may think you know what an epitome is, but I think you're going to learn something new next week. So I hope you'll join me at the intersection with Doug Newton next week. And remember, let's counteract egocentricity and get interested in the interests of others. I'll see you then.